This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. A lot of people don't know this about me, but when I first started working, I didn't flip burgers in a fast food chain or go to work for my dad, which is probably for the best because I don't think I'd be any good at programming databases for an insurance firm. And I'm definitely not making fun of those jobs because I later worked at a movie theater and as a balloon boy at a party goods store. But no, one of my first jobs instead was working with the local elementary schools before and after school program for the kids whose parents had to drop them off early or pick them up late after work. I loved that job so much that I later went on to work at a guest ranch in Colorado and then at a summer camp in Tennessee thinking that I might one day study to be a teacher or an educator and turn it into a, into a career. Especially in the later jobs when I would take kids out for like rides on horses or to see a few of the farm animals that we had on the ranch or later in Tennessee teaching the campers how to build a fire and to identify plants in the woods and how to avoid ticks and poison ivy on our hikes. It was really incredible to see as these children, many of which came from cities and suburbs and didn't spend a whole lot of time out in the wilderness, they started to discover new ways to interact with the natural world and look beyond the green sea of leaves to the individual plants and what they knew about them. Anyway, years later when I lived in Portland, Oregon, a close friend of mine volunteered at a local school teaching a garden program and invited me to come along to help her out. And after just one of those classes helping the kids to plant veggie starts and weed some parsnip beds, I was completely hooked again. Just seeing the excitement and watching the discovery was infectious and it got me excited about gardening all over again. And I went back to help out for a couple of months and ever since then I've been thinking of ways that I could work with kids in gardening and environmental education again. And that's why for this week's episode I reached out to Casey Ray Christopher, the author of the new book, The School Garden Curriculum. Now Casey is the volunteer farm and garden educator for Oregon's Red Band Ranch. She was previously the school garden coordinator for the Springwater Environmental Sciences School and the outdoor educator for ERA. Her passion is fostering a healthy land ethic, personal empowerment, and environmental literacy in children of all ages through outdoor immersion and skill building. As a bonus for today's episode, I'm actually going to be giving a free copy away of the book, The School Garden Curriculum, to a lucky member of our Discord channel. All you need to be eligible to win is to send me a message via Discord, and if you win, I'll either send out a hard copy of the book if you live in the U.S. or Canada, or a digital copy right to your inbox if you live anywhere else in the world. But anyway, today we're going to break down what it takes to get a school garden program started if this is something that you feel passionate about too how to overcome some of the common hurdles and the pushback to keeping it running. We're going to explore some of the lesson plans to get you started and to challenge you to push the boundaries of what a school garden program can be and the subjects that you can explore with a garden classroom. So Casey, to get us started with realistic expectations, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to reach out to a school to start a garden education program? Yeah thought about this um, because every school is so different and every school culture is unique and um, you know I've been fortunate enough to be invited into schools that want me there um, or who want to have a garden or who encourage it and so that's that's definitely something that I've been been blessed to have Um, and any school to go and kind of start developing a relationship 
with it with a garden project in mind or a garden program in mind. I think there's a, there's a few entering, entry points. Um, one of them I was thinking about was connecting to what already exists, you know, rather than reinventing the wheel, just seeing what's already in place and how a garden can interact with that or how a garden program can interact. Um, you know, when I started teaching at that school, the garden was just, a, it was a mess of weeds fenced in and that was being watered and it was, and there's a lot of um, hopeless language being used in the school around it. And so what we did was start, you know, they had like a regular fall harvest festival or just a fall festival at the school and they had a spring one. And so even though I didn't have a garden really to teach or invite people into, I was setting up a booth and talking to them about gardening and offering food from local farms and just starting to have a conversation that used more positive language. Um, and also the way to introduce myself and and what I wanted to do. And so I think just working within like the already established celebrations and uh, community events is a wonderful way to start that and develop those relationships because to, to have a, a garden program at a school, you need, you need a community and to be for really to make it sustainable. And so to, to just introduce yourself that way is, is a wonderful entry way. Um, there's also, you know, sometimes when I've come to people with projects or programs in mind, they hear science and permaculture and they're like, oh, we need to go talk to the science teacher. You need to talk to this person. Um, but really there's, it's that social emotional aspect and that is, that is really key. And another entry point, it was like with a counselor or if there's a wellness committee, um, you know, that there's, there's ways of kind of just like shifting the language of introducing a program of, you know, the, like the permaculture and the education aspect can come um, under sort of the guise of other aspects that we, we know that it's going to happen in a garden program. So school counselors um, are a great way. And then there's usually one teacher or two teachers there who really want, like I, I've never, they want to be outside with their students. I've never really met a school that doesn't have a teacher like that. And I think that's why showing up at a school um, and getting familiar with the people and the change makers and the people who get stuff done and the, the people who say yes, but don't show up and kind of just learning to identify community members and teachers is another great way to, to start engaging with a school um, because then you can kind of find those, those teachers who will bring their students out, who are willing to collaborate. And those are all good entry ways, I think, into schools. And I know that all schools are different and they have their own regulations, their culture, their standards, and especially their own budget. And to get us started with realistic expectations, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to reach out to a school to start a garden education program? I have to say, so like budgeting wise, I never had a budget. Um, <laughs> so I was just getting donations, learning how to write grants. Um, and so I never really had to justify my expenses in that in that way because I never had the, that support until later. Um, and I re and that, that actually made me rely a lot more on my community um, and be much more engaged with my community because I needed to kind of pool our resources. 
And I, I think it was actually, it was beneficial for me as an educator, but also in that community building aspect to not have that. Um, other kind of, yeah, difficulties to overcome, you know, some, I, I think about how some people find outdoor spaces to be very unsafe and it can be very uncomfortable for parents to have their children in outdoor spaces and gardens where you know, maybe the plants are blocking viewpoint and um, children can kind of you know hide a little bit things like that i've had conversations with parents and community members who are a little concerned about the safety aspect and um, and that just requires a conversation and then also you know, more dedication to student safety um, and what that looks like. And so I never, I don't think I've, I've found a barrier that couldn't be solved through community support and open, vulnerable conversations that invite people in um, to the space and, and to hear their concerns. That's great advice for starting just about any community program. Getting to know people in projects that are already established and striving to build off of that success and complement those efforts is a powerful gesture of respect to those who already worked hard to move things forward. Back when I worked with children, I was always challenged by trying to organize activities and design lessons and tasks that would be engaging for a range of age groups and skill levels. Because the problem would often come that, say, the little ones were having fun and could keep up, but the older kids were getting bored. Or the opposite would come up and the older kids were challenged, but the younger kids struggled to keep up and resorted to distracting themselves with other tasks. Yes. Yeah. That was that was a learning curve for me, was realizing that and understanding um, how to engage. You know, when I was working with K through 8, I kind of felt like they came full circle behavior-wise. Like the kindergartners would evolve and they're probably at their highest level of behavior evolution in fourth grade and then they would go back to kindergarten by eighth grade and i had to take a similar approach of you know simple instructions quick lessons um, lots of physical activity you know between kindergarten and eighth grade because they were kind of at the same level again um, but one thing that i found to be really successful that i think is a little underrated with with programs that I've seen, it's just repeating tasks each season, but building off of the complexity of those tasks. And, you know, I think just planting pea seeds with kindergartners, you know, they're nice big seeds, they're easy to handle, you know, it doesn't take, there's a lot of work for a kindergartner, a lot of motor skills that go into planting a seed, but an older student can still do that, but instead they can be also learning about root systems, nitrogen fixation, um, trellising. There's just so many things that can be learned off of that same task. It's just that the conversation that you're having and the questions that you're asking develop in their complexity. And, and they do respect the, like the skill development um, of those students. And so that's one thing that I've kept in mind is like not, not downplaying the the repeated task each season. Um, each one is an opportunity to kind of judge and, and evaluate student knowledge and then to build off of that. Um, the other thing that I've, I've done specifically around permaculture is 
like there's just so many valuable lessons that come with permaculture, but the language access is really difficult for younger students. Um, you know, you can throw out words like edge effect um, and they don't understand that, but you can teach it to them in a very conceptual way or you can have them engaging with it. And it's, and then I, you know, what I've done is like, I have them engage with them when they're younger. And then when they're older, I'm like, oh, that thing that you've been doing for years, that's actually called this and you've been doing it and you know it and you have years of experience now um, and kind of introducing that language when they're older so that they can really start to not only like grasp the concept but own it because they've been doing it for so long and then to start using that language to build their own lesson plans or start to develop their own projects with that language in mind um, so i think even there, there's like the language introduction that changes you know the the younger students it's very much just experiencing for me um, and the older students it's really starting to to name and grasp the the larger concepts and systems at work this range of teaching possibilities is fascinating to me and opens up so many possibilities even for adults but for people who don't have experience creating lesson plans around gardening it can be a bit daunting to get started it's worth starting slow and getting a few fundamentals across, sometimes before even going outside, especially in those cold months when there's really not that much going on in the plant world. I want to say the winter gardening lessons are probably a great place to start because they don't require an outdoor space, typically. Like, most of my winter lessons are all indoors. They're made for window boxes or just windows. Um, inside and they teach more about the concept of gardening or they're ex they're mostly experimental so it's a chance for students and adults alike to start to get familiar with the language and the processes but also kind of the the beauty of i don't want to say failure um but it just starts getting them like used to things dying and experiments not being the success that we want them to. I think it can be. It's a good chance to practice giving up the expectations that certain like people have of gardens. You know, there's um, a lot of pressure in the spring and the fall, but especially the spring with planting season to, you know, plant so many seeds and it's going to grow all of this food and it's just going to look beautiful and it's going to look this way and we're going to have all of this bounty and and that's not you know as gardeners like that that doesn't always happen um because of environmental factors or social factors or germination right there's just so many variables at, at work and it can be really difficult for children especially to have all of that expectation and then to um, not see it happen not see whatever stories they've come up with about the garden come true or about their plants or the seeds that they've they put in the soil and so the winter is a great time. And I think any of my winter gardening activities, but especially for like the kinder gardeners and first graders, it's just a good place for any beginning gardener, no matter their age to get started because they get a sprout seeds and then they get to, you know, take the sprouts out of the soil and really look at the structures of the roots. And there's no expectation around um, production. It's all about observation and wonder and asking questions. And I think those are the most valuable traits to have in any garden and any garden program. And so 
that's where I would start is just experimenting um, indoors, asking questions um, and seeing what happens. Can you give me an example of one of your favorite experiments indoors? Yeah. Um, gosh, you know, I don't even think I have this in my book. I think it was a lesson plan that I cut out, but it. Oh, good. We get <laughs> bonus material here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so much. Um, but really it's like anytime just planting a seed on a windowsill and watching it grow is it's so simple and it can be so valuable to go back and check in on it and, you know, do, um, do logs of, of plant growth. But I had one time I had a class, um, they were doing a space unit and learning about astronauts. And, um, I was trying really hard to make a garden connection. So I was like, okay, we will grow these seeds inside and then we'll grow them in different conditions. So like, we'll have some seeds grow in all darkness with limited light, you know, they get a little bit of light for the day and then they get kind of closed up um, under, I think I just had cups, you know, I didn't really have a lot of, you know, technical material, it was just what I had on hand. And others grew um, in, you know, like pumice that I had on hand or um, perlite that I had on hand. And, and like, so they kind of grew in rocks, the substrates, and it, some grew in soil, and some grew in water, and some grew in full light and soil, and just comparing the plant growth in different mediums that the kids came up with, and it was messy, and it was funny, and it, it wasn't the most successful lesson I had, and it really <laughs> didn't connect to the space unit, <laughs> but it was really fun to watch because they could it was it again it was just all ex exploration and the kids were excited to see each day what was happening to the seeds and to check in on them and to compare the growth rates and what was happening to um to some plants over others and i was even surprised by how successful some plants were in weird conditions and you know that and that that's my favorite really is just is the comparisons i think um and i know that's there's lessons like that I think that all of my winter lessons have something like that where you're comparing growth rates or um, to different plants. And it's, it's my favorite because that's where the questions start coming. And that's so key to get students engaged and developing ownership and, and wonder. And um, I think that's the simplest place to start. And from those simple starting points, opens up a world of living analogies and comparisons, even to those theoretical lessons and concepts that I always remember complaining about when I was in school, whining about how I'd never use those math formulas in real life, or how I couldn't envision needing to know trigonometry in the future. In my experience, especially having, like I'm thinking specifically about an on-site garden or even container gardens, like a regular place for children to go to and return to, to uh, just interact with any garden space. Uh, I mean, those spaces can not only enhance what they're learning in the classroom. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite things was to go in and have conversations with teachers about what they were teaching and then connect it to the garden in a way so the kids are actually having these, these hands-on um, interactions with, like, I remember we did electricity once um, and I was like, how am I supposed to do electricity as a garden connection? And it ended up being a great connection with compost and energy cycles um, and energy transfers. And so there's a lot of creativity there that 
it just provides another um, another lens for the children to to make connections or like another lens for them to see uh, their studies that they're in the classroom and, and to kind of have that that kinesthetic engagement that they desperately need. I think that's the other part is that so many of our students and our children are in very, um, they're not moving during the day. Like, yeah. and they're just, they're, they're lacking that. And so, um, you know, the, the electricity unit, like that was just an excuse to get them moving really. <laughs> um, the academic ties is kind of just what I used to convince their teacher to let them come outside. But so I had to ask, for someone who's created over 200 lesson plans for garden and permaculture education for kids in this book, do you have a personal favorite lesson to teach? I feel like my favorite is a little different than uh, what a beginning uh, gardener or garden educator would want. Um, I mean, my favorite unit is the vermicomposting unit. Sure. <laughs> it's just, it's so much fun and it's probably the biggest empathy builder for students mm. and children. Um, where they learn to really have an emotional connection into worms and it's just beautiful um, and then you know through worms extended to the entire ecosystem that they're interacting with so that's my favorite but I don't know if it's the best for a beginning person because worms are just very needy pets sometimes there are really so many directions you can take the learning journey in a setting as simple as a little veggie garden. I really loved when Casey brought up the connection she makes to the larger role and potential that humans can have when they learn to respect their places as stewards and collaborators with nature, rather than the controlling force that drives an agenda. It is, it is, because there's so much about modern gardening and farming that's egocentric. and it puts human interaction as the primary force in a garden, whereas we know that that's not true at all. <laughs> and, and so that's one thing that I've, I've that's the conversation piece um, when I'm with children and I try to take every opportunity I can to have these conversations with them is just what's happening already. Like, just look at what is, what is already occurring and what already exists and what's already interact, you know, interacting with each other and relationships that are already being built without human interaction. And then the why, like a lot of the students that I work with have preconceived notions of how they should interact with the garden or what they should do if they see a slug, like, oh, we have to kill it or we have to salt it or um, like, oh, that's a, that's a gross thing over there. And it's like, well, why? Like, that's the biggest question is, you know, wh where are these these ideas coming from? And I know where they're coming from. They're, they're parroting their parents or things that they've heard or seen. And really cutting to the heart of that is just like trying to create a sense or inspire a sense of the self in relation to that ecosystem. And then what is our responsibility to it? In, in interacting, what does that interaction look like? So now that we've got some of the practical steps explained and some resources to draw from, I wanted to explore some of my own favorite things about the joys of working with children and watching the learning process and their personal growth evolve over time. Now I didn't stay with those jobs that I mentioned in the beginning long enough to really observe this, and I don't have any kids of my own, 
but watching my nieces and nephew grow up have really shown me what a magical journey of discovery and learning this can be. Not only for the children, but for us grumpy grown-ups who often lose sight of the miracle of nature as we get caught up in other worries and priorities. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's one particular class that's dear to my heart because of that reason. Um, it was my, when I started teaching at this environmental science school, they were the first grade class. And then I was there for about five years. And so I got to see them from being six and seven year olds to being teenagers. And what I noticed was, I mean, they, they already had an affinity for the garden and they helped me develop it from the beginning stages. You know, they're little first graders with giant shovels digging out pathways for me. And they just went with it with uh, just wholeheartedly. And as a, as, a, as a class and as a community, they were really strong and, um, and carrying that passion through those five years. And, you know, from the beginning stages of, you know, I mostly focused on behavior. Like this is how we treat each other. This is how we treat the land. This is how we treat ourselves. And really just trying to model that behavior and, and practice it with them. I noticed that by the fifth year, I had my last gardening class with them, um, which was really bittersweet because they were just so dear to me. I gave them, I think we we're doing plants, like we we're doing tulip bulbs, we we're planting. And I didn't really need to teach him at all. Like I gave him the tools and I had them recall, you know, how deep to plant certain seeds. And then they just went off and did it. And what I noticed was it was just their behavior. It was, it was like exactly what a gardener should, like <laughs> if I could have like an ideal gardener, it'd be like thoughtful interaction, um, quiet voices. They were very conscientious of the fact that they were in an ecosystem and that they were both a part of it and visiting others' homes. They were giving each other certain space and talking to each other in certain ways. And it was just this, it was everything that I had dreamed of five years before. Um, and and that, that's, that's really what gave me hope was like, they, they're not gonna remember all of the details of planting or all of the technicalities of gardening, but they internalized the social aspects that I really, I thought the garden really was there to, to teach, um, was how to be a community. And they just embodied that in such a beautiful way that I just stood there and just watched them. And I was filled with so much hope for the future. Um, and it really, I feel like, I mean, I, I had faith that that work, like the work that I was doing and the teaching around behaviors was gonna pay off, but to see it in action was just a, a mind, mind blowing moment. I really hope that the practical steps that Casey's insights into the world of garden and environmental education for children has inspired you as much as it has for me. While I continue to look for the best way to share my love of the natural world with younger generations, I wanna pose a couple of questions to you, even if you're not thinking of getting involved in a school garden program. First off, how important is it to teach earth stewardship to children, and at what age should they get started? And number two, are there ways that you can help to guide and inform the children in your life through the natural world around them, and how to have a beneficial impact on it? As always, I'll be continuing this conversation with the Regenerative Skills community on our Discord server. You can join for free through the link on our website at regenerativeskills.com. 
And if you want to be eligible to win a free copy of Casey's book, The School Garden Curriculum, just post your answer to one of the questions from this episode there in the forums. Special thanks to Casey Christopher for sharing her wealth of knowledge. You can buy her book, The School Garden Curriculum, at newsociety.com and download the worksheets that go along with her lesson plans for free there too. And don't forget you can hear the full unedited interview with Casey through the subscription options on our Patreon page. Now, this week's original music is by Reed Mathis and Zachariah Hickman. And if you'd like to have your own original music featured on the show or just want to get in touch, you can email me directly at info at regenerativeskills.com. Until the next time, keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way. <laughs>